0: Hello. Hi oh, mate. You
1: okay.
0: Yeah. Good. Thank you. How are you? Good.
1: Thank you. Have you good. seen the football?
0: <laughs> I have seen the football. I was. I what? I I was. So we're we referring to the Manchester United game from <clears throat> the previous night, and um, <laughs> well, it was a bullshit foul. It shouldn't have been a red. We know that. Um what happened, for those of you that live under a rock and haven't seen it, Eric Lamella, the Tottenham player, basically puts his elbow into Martial, the Man United player's face. Martial gets knocked back a bit. He's a bit annoyed. So he sort of cups Lamella's chin for some reason. And Lamella just (coughs) suddenly decides that this is worthy of him keeling over and acting as though he's just been shot in the face. Um, And Martial was given a red, Lamella wasn't given anything. Um, so it was bullshit. Um, it shouldn't have been given. Like both, of, both should have seen red or neither should have seen red. I don't think they should have seen red. Um, but this is part of the wider discussion we were going to have about football in general.
1: I was going to say, this is very <laughs> deep, very quickly into the um, yeah. pod. Before we yeah. actually... Go into this conversation. Yeah. Should we d- just discuss the actual results that happened huh. at the weekend? How insane they were, dude! They were mad. So, <laughs> so basically, put in the context: Man United game, they lost six-one to Tottenham. Which Tottenham—they're a good opponent. So yeah. it's it's not. A, I mean, the, the scoreline is a surprise, but Man United beating, uh, sorry, losing to Spurs isn't really a surprise. It's just by six goals to one. Exactly. And the second scoreline was um, Aston Villa. You messaged me up 1-0 and you said, have you seen the score? I went, well, Liverpool will pull back about two or three. I was thinking the same now. You were like, oh, I'm not sure. Anyway, I I started monitoring the results and all of a sudden it's like (laughs) 4-1 or something stupid like that.
0: Exactly, yeah. And three of them came from that that, Villa striker Watkins. Um, And what was funny was, I think about, in total, half of the Villa goals were deflected in some way. So Adrian, you know, he he saw it going one way and then at the last minute it got deflected and so he couldn't do anything. That, you know, that happened several times. But even if you remove three of those, it's still 4-2. Like, that's still...
1: (laughs) I mean, in football you can't say, oh, if that happened, if that happens. Just like in any other sport. What happens, happens, and football's yeah. the Premier League. I think I should say, is so. I mean, I don't want to say magical because it's not magical, but it's different that an Aston Villa side, so like you know, a relegation scrapping side last year, go and beat the champions seven yeah. to the following year. Um, it, it wouldn't really happen in any, in any other league. So
0: I can't see I, that it, happening in the in the Spanish league, especially where. It's literally just the top three and everyone else. And that in the Premier in League is not the same. Or. Sorry, you were saying?
1: It <clears throat> wouldn't happen in France or Germany or or Spain no. or Italy. It no. I, 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 I mean, it could happen. Don't get me wrong, it's football. But the likelihood of that happening is very, very small. Mm. And I almost start to get a feeling now, are we going to have another Leicester year, like we had five, six years ago, where Everton are just... They've got such a good team. They've got one of the best managers in the Premier League. And as we've already discussed previously, this year is so competitive because not only the players in the league are so good, but also the managers are so good. So when we look at the teams, we've, we discussed there's nine teams that are extremely competitive, that are fighting for four places, technically.
0: Yeah, I... And that's for the
1: Champions League. <clears throat>
0: And I noticed last night that Everton were a top of the league, which, you know, imagine if they do go on to win, like the Scousers will be loving life. They won, they won with Liverpool last year and then Everton would win this year. <laughs> it would just be jokes. Liverpool would yeah. burn.
1: <sighs> I mean, this is just a remake of what we, what we did a few... Uh, Few weeks ago, I think was it last week or two weeks ago when we did the pod um, on the Premier League predictions. I did say, I did say, and go back to recording and listen to it, Everton might win it this year.
0: Yeah, they have a good chance. Like I haven't ruled like <clears throat> um, like the signing of Hammers especially that seems to have turned them round completely.
1: The thing is, when I think it all stems back to Ancelotti. I think when they hired him. It was a bit of a shock because Arsenal were looking at the same kind of options Mm. and they opted not to go for Ancelotti and they opted to go for Arteta. And I kind of thought, well, why would they do that when Ancelotti's proven to be um, so good in European football? You know, he's won uh, trophies in pretty much every country. He's been in Spain, Italy, France and England. He's proven himself here as well. So it's not like too big of a gamble to bring him in. Um, but it seemed to have worked out for both Arteta and Ancelotti. And, I mean, and at the moment, Ancelotti very well um, and Everton are enjoying it. So, going back to what you were saying, the weekend of the results, um, Everton and Aston Villa are the only teams that are unbeaten, unbeaten this year and uh, We've played four games, don't be wrong. I'm not saying that we've gone through half a season they're the only yeah. unbeaten teams. But it's crazy. I mean, four games ago, I wouldn't have said that Everton and Aston are going to be the only ones that are going to be unbeaten.
0: Yeah, I genuinely was thinking at the start of the season that Liverpool would repeat another invincible season, you know, yeah. because they, they were on such a different level last year. Like, they came back angry for the
1: entire year. After. So Just to clarify, they weren't invincible last year, but I understand what point you're saying with yeah, yeah, yeah. how many games they went on to win and not lose.
0: Exactly. And, you know, they, they, they went on a rampage. They were determined to win the league, and they did. And, you know, you do see this a couple of times where some some teams or some groups reach a point, they go, OK, and we've won the league. And, now, and it's so difficult to, especially as the manager for Klopp, it, it will be fairly difficult for him. I think to motivate people to be able to go on that kind of a run again. Although they seem to be up for it, you know, they kept fighting in the Villa game last night. I was watching it; one of the few times I've actually watched a football match. But um,
1: so yeah. with those results of the weekend, and, you know, I've mentioned that oh, could we be in for another Leicester kind of type season? Yeah, you did. Where yeah. um, you know the teams that are not are not favourite to go and win it. Um, go and win it so it brings up the question of with those results is it more of a um, desire to go and win or is it more of a having a skill and investment to go and win because clearly if this is going to happen second time in what six years Mm. that's a third of the wins in six years so it'll be twice won't it Um and I mean, it just doesn't make sense. and it might be just football being that kind of sport that it just doesn't make sense. Um, but then again, with having eleven players, you do probably need um team cohesion and chemistry quite a lot more than in majority of other sports. Don't get me wrong, there's a few other sports that probably you need just as much. But if you think about it, if your team clicks and there is no, um, I don't know, Eden Hazard, Cristiano Ronaldo, James Rodriguez, um, you know, those type of players that maybe a little bit better than everyone else and everyone's kind of average, um, but they get on better. They understand each other better. They know what's going to be happening when they turn around a back hill pass in the corner when they're, um, you know, pinned with three people on them so it's starting to get quite interesting on what is actually going to be happening and what we actually wanted to talk about today with these results you were saying that Aston Villa um, got quite lucky getting deflections and yes they got deflections mm. was there any penalties in that game? Um, no, Not, not sure, no. no but in the um, Chelsea game for example there was two penalties which were clear penalties because they were actually tackling the um, strikers, of the opponents, the Chelsea players. Um, whereas what we're seeing with a handball rule with the penalties doesn't matter um, where your arm is as long as it's above your I think it's shoulder height. So you could be jumping and swinging your arms right, right up for momentum and your ball could literally be flying that way, it could be deflected and touch your hand and that would be handball penalty. Which is completely ridiculous and what quite a lot of managers and quite a lot of fans, quite rightly, are getting really frustrated with this inconsistency. So sometimes sometimes they would give a penalty for that. And I'm not saying specifically for a handball, but I'm saying just a penalty as a whole. Man United are pretty much guaranteed a penalty every game. Um, And we look at other teams and it's... It almost seems like the referees have their favourites.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we know that Manchester United for the longest time was a favourite of the refs. Like with, with Fergie time and everything like that, they're, they're, they're an obvious one. Uh, but coming back to what you're saying about, it's, it's not very clear. Um, like the ruling and everything. <clears throat> My understanding of the handball rule was that it had to be Intentional for it to be ruled a handball? Yeah?
1: Well, I, um, I don't know, because I don't think it's clear enough to me either.
0: Well, but they need to clarify that. They need to clarify whether it's intentional. And they need to put stipulations in there saying, if it's off a deflection within a certain distance that you can't react to, then it can't be a handball. Because that's just ridiculous at this point. We're, g- we're just going to end up playing with our hands behind our backs. Because the, whole time, the last time... Few-
1: you're right. That's what the last few years. If you look at um, players cr- trying to cross the ball, if you look at the wing backs, they run up to the ball with their arms behind their backs because mm. if they've got their arm up just to swing their leg out and the ball goes a little bit higher than they anticipated it to go and it hits their arm, that could potentially be a penalty. Which is so. Well, I mean, I get it. Probably being on the attacking team, if I wanted them to score, I'd be like, "Oh, that's a penalty." Yeah. But Like you say, there's going to be intention. It can't just be a kick to the hand. And when we're talking about these um, skillful professionals where they're technically the most skillful players in the world playing the Premier League, they could specifically kick it onto someone's hand and then get a penalty that way. And it defeats the object of competitiveness where it's almost like cheating.
0: It is just shithousery at that point. Like if I if I was an attacking player, I'd just be flicking it onto my opponent the entire time. Whoop. Yeah. Oh, we. Oh, I got would, him in would. the ribs, but I lost the ball. Oh well, I'll just try it again. I'll just smash the ball at his body and hope for the best. Oh, but he turned away like this in order to um, get away from the ball, and it hit his elbow. So now it's a penalty, please. <laughs> I would be. I would be that guy. And so you can see how easily it can be manipulated, and it's such a shame because, you know, I was talking about this last night, the Premier League. Is probably one of the most, if, if not the most, it is one of the most technical and quick leagues in football. And this this threatens to kind of ruin that almost because it, you know, the pre- like diving for example has now become an art form where there's an art to it. So like getting your body in front of a certain player not to win the ball but so that they then can trip you up. And you can fall over and scream for a penalty or whatever.
1: So, so what you're describing there is Bruno Fernandes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> basically, him and Jamie Vardy, like they've mastered <laughs> they've mastered the art of um, winning penalties. And you know, it, it, fair okay, it's within the rules, fair play, but it does kind of annoy you a bit as a fan. Where, like man, like Tottenham were given a penalty yesterday. After Ben Davies passed the ball, past Paul Pogba, who was sliding in to get the ball. The ball had already moved on. And Ben Davies jumped to get over Pogba. His foot slightly touched him and he fell over, but the play had moved on. Like nothing like it didn't interfere with the play at all. And they still gave a penalty for it. Mm -hmm. And so that, that kind of makes you question like what what is the point? Like, what is the point think, of all this? As a fan, and probably even more frustrating as a player, I could imagine.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of grey areas in, in there is, you know, these kind of situations. But like you say, there needs to be a little bit more um, clarification of what me, what certain things are, given examples. And yeah, sometimes there will be situations where the referee will be like, well, I don't know what to do. And that's why there's this thing I don't know if anyone's heard of it called the VAR that's apparently supposed to work, which is an absolute bullshit.
0: Like when it work, when the goal is good, they still will use VAR. But when, but when there's something iffy in, in the lead up to the goal or whatever it may be involving the lead up to the goal, they don't review it. It's like guys, you, like this is what frustrates me as a guy who's probably more a fan of rugby than I am of football, right? In rugby, every single goal that, <laughs> try that scored, basically, they end up reviewing because they just want to make sure that there was no penalties in the lead-up to the score. And you know, rugby fans have accepted it now that that's how it is. And football, football can learn so much from rugby in the way it works. Because the way VAR works, my understanding, is that the main ref on the pitch is the only one that can call for VAR. Whereas in rugby, there's a fifth official who's up in some box somewhere outside the stadium, reviewing the film. And then he'll radio into the ref during the game. And he'll say, hey, this needs to be looked at. And the ref will go, okay, look at that whilst, I'm, whilst the play carries on. That makes so much more sense than what happens in football where it's the decisions of one bloke and they don't explain themselves ever. Like they just, they just fuck off. And then you never hear from them and you, nev- you don't know why it's been ha- ha- why it's been given. And that's the thing that frustrates me. We don't know why. What led them to it?
1: Yeah, there's definitely a lack of transparency in it. Um, But I also feel like football has traditionally had an element of luck where, you know, someone might handball the ball out the box slightly and the referee might not have seen it right, so he'll give a penalty instead of a free kick on outside the box or vice versa. Whatever the situation. Um, with VAR, the Football federations kind of decided that we want to take the element of luck a little bit out of football and we want to be more concise on what actually goes on, which is fair enough. They actually made a decision what way they want to head towards and that's what Football Federations are there for. However, what VAR has created, and be it it's in the first you know year or two, um, there's going to be teething issues, but That's not the problem with VAR. The problem is the inconsistency in the decisions. Sometimes, like you say, you don't even know how it works. It's supposed to be um, uh, an office basically based like a fifth referee, essentially, Mm. where they're consistently watching over. Some competitions use it, some competitions don't. So the Premier League, for example, do use VAR. Carabao Cup, which is the... um, uh, Capital One Cup, it used to be called Carling Cup, the traditional sponsorship names. Um, it, It doesn't use it. So going to that competition, the ball could be on the line and the referee has got to make a decision without anyone's help. But three days later at the weekend when they're playing in the Premier League, at the end of the day, he can let play go on. And about two minutes later, he could get a notification from VAR saying, That went in, but someone handballed it and you've got to give them a red card. So it kind of breaks up the play. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that referees are all the time making the right decision because they do make mistakes. They're human. That's Mm -hmm. what every human's about. But VAR doesn't have that, like you say, call the fifth official um, in rugby and let play go on. In football, we Mm -hmm. might wait three minutes and then find out that nothing has gone on and then that's broken down the momentum of the game players have calmed down a little bit fans have kind of lost their motivation are fed up of waiting or it could be vice versa where something could have happened but he lets play go on and then you have play for like three four minutes and you've got to pull it back to that penalty which is just stupid
0: the, the whole thing's a mess like they need to like you know, when it, whenever something new comes in, there's always going to be a little bit of a uh, teething problems, as you said. Uh, but I I wouldn't have expected it to this extent, where it it seems like every week there's something to complain about with VAR, and this just isn't this just it just needs to be looked at. They need to define a process, and they need to define these vague rules around handballs. And whatever kind of, because I've seen some people debating offside rules as well on social media so, you know, that's another thing that would need to be clarified I'm sure you, you'll you have some other examples of things that they would need to, um, to clear up, basically
1: Well, there's plenty, of, you probably remember this, but when we're watching the FA Cup final um, two major decisions that the referee made a decision without actually going and trying to um, talk to anyone was Kovacic getting a red card when he got stood on, which was incredible. And then the goalkeeper was being out of his box with the ball in his hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which both were kind of just like on the moment Fuck you, VAR. Not listening to you. I'm just going to make a decision because I don't like Chelsea and I want to get some money from Arsenal. Um, nothing like you say. There's almost like the, no justification. You just move on, and we, we as the fans, just sat there going like, "What the hell's going on?"
0: Yeah, exactly. Like right. that, that, that game was the clearest example of. Um, a game where VAR was desperately needed and not used I presume they use VAR in the FA Cup do they I think so yeah Okay, so there's no excuse then what what was the guy's name Mike Ashley no that's the owner of of Newcastle
1: Anthony Taylor
0: (laughs) Anthony Taylor
1: (laughs) (laughs) Mike Ashley could run around for 90 minutes I mean
0: the guy can barely walk without getting out of breath like, oh, he,
1: he'll probably take a step for a pint of beer.
0: A step for a pint of beer. Uh, <laughs> he probably, i mean—he's so rich. He probably just pays a man to wheel him round, and then—and then—and then, <laughs> then, then when he needs to make public appearances, like, oh god, I've got to stand up. Okay. Uh, hi everyone. Do you want to see my wads of cash that I carry around in my pocket? <laughs> bell end. Utter bell. <laughs> and don't get yourself. <laughs> started on the West Ham ownership either. That's another week.
1: Oh, well, now we've, now we've solved the problem of um, penalties. The FA and FIFA and all the actors have got to listen to it, don't they?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've solved it. Like, just listen to us. And share to all your friends, because we are superior. <laughs> I mean, oh God, oh God, the last time someone said that, they were also doing a Nazi salute. We are not superior. We uh we, we, we just have, we just are smarts. we're smart boys <laughs> On that note we'll take a break and we'll,
1: we'll see you in a, in a few seconds. We'll
0: see you in a bit many days and hours for us. See ya.
1: Okay. That was a little break from us. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, straight into it. Thanks for joining us back again.
0: Exactly, like for the second half, like for us. <laughs> so we basically, we stopped recording and then we left it a day and now we've come back to do the second half. So this is really weird for us, but for you guys, it's like, oh, what are you talking about? It's just two guys again. It's just the same <laughs> two guys. What, what yeah. But yeah, so welcome back. <laughs> Now I hope that was a slightly smoother um, segue than it was before, where we just started rambling. Um, basically, we decided for this second half um, we were going to talk about players' wages, mainly in football, but I'm sure we can expand to other sports as well. Because um, <laughs> it's it's exploded the Premier League, like the like with the rise of Man City and everything. Who's just buying up anyone and everyone for stupid prices. Um, you know, and this kind of links into the spending that we've spoken about before, where, you know, these teams have ridiculous amounts of cash to burn and the Premier League is starting to become a two-tier league. And it's, it's getting ridiculous now.
1: I mean, we've only just spoken um, in this podcast, in this okay. episode. Um, how Aston Villa, a bottom tier as such club, in quote-unquote, yeah. uh, beat the champions by seven goals to two. So we we are going to be talking about money, but also there's a lot of going back to how much desire um, is it that's valued more than cash being spent on players. Um, when we look at a few years back, Leicester had three key players that basically won them the league or you know maybe not three maybe more so five of the spine um but everyone kind of knew their role and they were a very close-knitted team and um is that the success going forward or is it the success of buying up the the league like um City, Chelsea, um, Man United haven't been doing very well with recruitment, but you, you get the gist. The big clubs can spend more money because they've got that commercial um, stance where it's global rather than just domestic. So, with that, clubs who haven't got the global stance haven't got the money to go and spend on a player that's proven. What they do have, however, they've got more flexibility to go and um, buy a cheaper player um, and take a risk on them who they've gone and basically scouted for longer so they, they can afford a risk more than the bigger clubs, yeah, which could work out very well for them because if they go out and buy someone who's unknown, hasn't really proven much, but he's a really hard worker and he's a really good team worker. It could be very well that that's a better buy than going out and spending seven figures on a player that's proven somewhere and likes to live for a party.
0: Yeah, and coming back to what you were saying about Leicester, um, do you think it helped them a lot that it wasn't a team of big stars? They had like because at the time, Mar Mahrez wasn't very big either. Neither was Jamie Vardy. Like it was a team of I don't I don't want to say nobodies, but they weren't massively well-known to the level of players like Manchester City and Liverpool and Man United in, in
1: years gone by. I mean, we've got to remember no notice, disrespect notice to Leicester they Absolutely. were the best team this year. Um, but you got to remember that year, the second place um, got 70-something points mm-hmm. and Leicester won the league with 81 points. When you look at last year and the year before, Liverpool came second with 97 points. So, the level playing field wasn't there that year, be it um, from other clubs. But also, we've got to remember that that club had, maybe like you say, they weren't as, you know, big players and they weren't proven as such. But they had five or so players, which was the spine of the team. And they knew their roles very well. And it just worked. What they did worked. Ranieri worked it out that they break up play um they press high and then as they break up play, just chip it on to Vardy and he will sort out the rest pretty much and that's what they did. They didn't score many goals that year but if you look at the big percentage of the goals they scored that year was by doing that. So what I'm saying is, what my argument is, that you've got the big club spending a lot of money and they've got these projects that are you know, down the pipeline that, for example, as a Chelsea fan, Lampard's basically trying to bring everyone together now. That's basically the plan. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of tactical plans. But if you think about it, Leicester did it in one year. They, they only signed Kanto that year. He was only there for pretty much that year. And they signed him for like half a million. or oh, You know, it wasn't a lot. And then after that, he went to Chelsea for 30 million. So the recruitment process there is insane. Like that that, that made them thirty. 1 million in one year, um, which, you know, him being a really good guy, being really humble, he's not there to, um, you know, be a PR stunt as such, um, as some clubs, I guess, do transfers um, from, say, Far East somewhere to gain some more fans. But that's not the point. The point being that th- there was some strategy that was instantly affected. maybe, they looked at it as, oh, he's a good player, but they didn't kind of calculate that they had the chance to go and actually go for that Champions League spot or or even winning the Premier League, because I'm sure they have just survived that year. That would have been like a dream for them to go into the Champions League, let alone win the league. Mm. So wages there wouldn't have been an issue. But of course, when players go and win the league the following year, I'm sure all the agents from those players were like, well, do you know what? Come on. players are proven now. Um, So, I'm sure, you know, with the likes of Vardy and um, Kasper Schmeichel, who have stayed there, have had improved contracts. But I guess this is where the actual issue that we wanted to talk about is what's reasonable for what they're getting paid and what they do. Because don't get me wrong, they are skillful players Mm -hmm. and, you know, they're the best in what they do. But also... Football is um, a sport where you almost have to be, you know, quite lucky in a sense of you can be in the right spot at the right time and get into a team where you don't belong to. And if you look at half the Chelsea squad that are dead wood, they're getting paid a ridiculous amount. I mean, Loftus Cheek left to go to um, Fulham, and it emerged that he was earning 150 grand a week, which is more than half a million a month for a player that i get he got injured but he you know he was never really the big star at chelsea whatever stage in his career so those kind of wages i understand that footballers careers you know they're not very long but even if you look at the average person and you think right well how long will it take someone to earn half a million a lifetime
0: a lo- it's a long old time, for sure. Um,
1: on an average wage, it, it probably would so, be... So, what,
0: what's the average wage? 30 grand a year?
1: Uh, let's assume so, yeah.
0: Okay, so...
1: five years. <laughs> It'll be 20 years, 20. mate. 17. 17 on 30 grand.
0: Yeah. On that, that's Half assuming years. you don't spend anything, which is stupid. <laughs>
1: That's what, a half a million to 17 Yeah, years. it's a half a million. Well, Loftus Cheek was once was <clears throat> 150 a week, which is 600 grand. So that's why I said 20 years. Right,
0: po- right. That's
1: right. not the point. Point yeah, it's being, um, it's, <clears throat> it just makes me question that I get the reward is very high once you reach that level. Yeah. I get there's a lot of steps beyond that where, you know, you've got – Um, uh, league one and league two players on basically average wages where they're not really making that much of a living because they will have to go and get qualifications after their careers over to be able to sustain themselves once they um, retire. But also stemming to other sports like basketball, um, especially in the NBA and looking at the NFL as well, American football wages are extremely high there. So with clubs coming in, and I I, I don't know so much about NBA and um, NFL disparities between, you know, the top club wages and the bottom club as such, you know, quote-unquote. But I would imagine they're not too far away from what the football, um, the European football as such, if there's any American listeners. uh, I'm
0: I'm happy to go into that because it works differently in the NBA and NFL. Because they have a salary cap for each team. So each team can only spend a certain amount on players' wages in a year. So in the NFL, and in the NFL, that's a hard cap. So if you try to <clears throat> pay, so if you try to sign a player and his wages go one grand over the cap, they, the NFL will not let you sign that player. And so you have to rejig contracts in order to be able to make that work. And it's a bit different in the NBA. The NBA does also have a salary cap in the attempt is basically to even out um, that disparity that you mentioned, because otherwise in the NBA, you'd have teams like the LA Lakers that just would have dominated. They did dominate, but they dominated because, you know, they had general managers who were able to manage that all those contract situations and think long term as well as short term. and the NBA is slightly different with the salary cap because they do have a salary cap, but also they let teams pay. I can't remember exactly what it's called. It it might be something like luxury tax or something like that, where they can go over the cap, but they just have to pay the NBA more money in order, uh, according to how much they've gone over the cap. So the aim from this is basically to make sure that, you know, one team can't just accumulate all the players and pay them all ridiculous sums of money. And I think, and for me, that's one reason why you know, I'm, I'm more invested in the NFL than I am in the Premier League. Because you know it's going to be the big spenders who are always going to be up there. You've got Chelsea, United are up there. Liverpool, You know they do spend a fair amount. They do at least have one big signing every year or something like that. And that's still a lot more than my team, West Ham, are ever going to spend. Uh, Man City are the obvious culprits where they've just bought the league basically so it's a little bit different in that sense and that's why you know more and more each year I start to become less and less interested in football because of this disparity which we I, mentioned.
1: Think, I think what the highlight in um, earning in athlete earning in um, America is the sponsorship deals that yeah. players actually go and create uh, and that you know, comes
0: off of the success that you have as a player yeah. and it, it will depend on certain teams as well because uh, you know there's there's a team called Dallas Cowboys which is an NFL team and their their quarterback Dak Prescott and because the Cowboys is like such a popular team even though they they haven't won the NFL since the night like the Super Bowl since the 90s they're still such a big team and he's able to get Think, think of them like Manchester United. Mm, no, who was successful? Like Which team was successful in the 90s but hasn't been successful since in football?
1: Well, Liverpool up until a few years ago.
0: <laughs> okay, well let's say Liverpool then. Think of Liverpool up until a few years ago. That's what Dallas are today and they still have this big reputation and so he's able to get um, more sponsorship. He'll, Tom Brady is another one. He's won six Super Bowls and he he gets a shit ton of money in sponsorships Aaron Rodgers is another one you know so there are all these guys and the good and the thing is is by by paying these guys a ridiculous amount of money that means that they have less money to spend on the rest of their team and so while they might have a great offense their defense might suck like Dallas does they have they have an amazing offense but their defense is dog shit and so that that evens out the the team and it stops them accumulating all these players because they're just able to pay um, ridiculous sums of money. And as the league earnings go up, the salary cap goes up. So it's, the players always earn a proportion of the league earnings. I don't know exactly how much it is that goes to the players, but you get the idea. It might be like 5 or 10%, something like that. And I think yeah. that's something that the, that the Premier League should do because it, it makes it way more interesting to watch. You could have a different winner every year. And the bet and the teams that win are the ones that are able to manage the salary cap the best, and that that 's another interesting dynamic to this, which the Premier League doesn't really have
1: No, but I think that would um turn almost radical um Americanized sport, and the premier League doesn 't want that the Premier League is what it is. Yeah. from their own stance. And I think what you're talking about it initially really stems from the financial fair play, really, um, yeah. where we, where we look at, you know, I will defend Chelsea as a Chelsea fan, but I know that we balance the books from what we, from what we do. We didn't have a transfer window that we spent for two um, two transfer windows where we had the ban. And then we spent the money this transfer window from what we've sold Morat and Hazard. So I know for a fact that Chelsea do do it lawfully, whereas other clubs, like a Manchester City, with the yep. saga that they had, they apparently weren't guilty of doing anything, but they had to pay 10 million euros for- <laughs> So what I'm saying is that they've got this... Um, theoretical thing that's supposed to work, which isn't followed because other clubs will just pay UEFA and FIFA off and they just let them off for doing that. It kind of defeats the object. And I see where you're coming from, where it kind of is supposed to make it fairer. But all it does is make the elite elite, and everyone else stay where they are. So it doesn't actually rejig anyone. All it does is create a more difficult... Um, job for the recruitment and scouting teams in those clubs to actually bring in players with good attitudes rather than um, high earners and that's the only thing that's really gonna be able to differentiate because if we look at um, um, you know the top Premier League wages for clubs I think Man United are at the top at 335 million a year which you look at the club they are scraping they scraped champions league football for next year i'm not sure they'll be able to do it this year or they might again they might scrape it, i don't know but 335 million is a lot of money and if you think about how much money they're bringing in on tv rights commercial stuff and all that it probably evens itself out but even then that's crazy yeah it's just
0: stupid um yeah but they are still able to maintain that top position as a result, well, not the top position, but being near the top as a result of paying these ridiculous wages like if they weren't able to pay these ridiculous wages and it was evened out, you know like Manchester united could still would still be having to be very smart with the with the signings that they make, and they would have to consider you know looking to younger talent who is which is unproven and that could benefit them. Right, like we know we know about the class of 94, 95, whatever it was. But you know, Beckham, the Neville brothers, um, Paul Scholes, Ryan Giggs, that lot. They yeah. they were all young players, and they were all able to win. Uh, you know, bring Manchester United some silverware. You know, that 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 kind of thing could be pushed, and that's helped by the fact that we have this quota of English players that also have to be um, in the squad. And that would help it as well.
1: I mean, again, I'm not trying to dig Mm. into any sort of club, but it's just the club that keeps recurring into what they do. So this quota is there to basically bring English players or domestic trained players through. So um, they could be foreign, but if they're brought in at the age of like 15, 16, 17, and they're trained here for three years, they class as domestic. So all it does is basically makes the clubs look at their player development rather than going out and spending that money. Mm -hmm. So you've got um, Man City, who have got a third-choice keeper. Um, I can't remember his name, but he's basically 37 years old. Green? No, Scott Carson, I think. But you've got um, a club which is basically clearly trying to meet their quota just like Chelsea did three, four years ago with Danny Drinkwater is an absolute waste of money. But because they didn't have enough English players a few years ago, they went and spunked out this money just to have one more player available to meet the quota. Because if you don't meet the quota, you can't register three players. doesn't matter what nationality they are. You go into a squad of 22 instead of 25. So it kind of levels the playing field. And it just feels like clubs are still taking advantage of it and not for the right way, where they're signing a player just for the sake of it. And I know that you know clubs are trying to change it, especially Chelsea with their transfer ban. They kind of learnt it the hard way and what to do. Um, but other clubs like Man United as well, they've got Lee Grant as their backup goalkeeper, which you kind of look at it and you think, well, he's like just about what 38 or something like that why would you have him as a backup keeper it just doesn't make sense so it's almost like a loophole that these big clubs get through and it hurts the smaller clubs more because of this um incentive to go and earn these big wages where you're not really doing anything you're sat on the bench you're, you're going to training and um don't get me wrong no disrespect to these players because well done for them to reach a point in their career that they only have to go train and earn however many thousands a week. So um, I'm not slagging them off, but I'm just saying there's a, there's an issue there where there's such a big disparity between league two clubs where they're earning the average wages of just what an employee, an office employee or whatever employee, um, and then you've got the highest of the high, they're earning millions and millions and millions, which there's many less of them in the professional work environment
0: yeah.
1: than there is in football. Um,
0: you know, to, to your point about youth players and the quota and everything, I think as time goes on, I, I think that those people will always exist, like those older players that they're never going to get a game, but they're just going to be in and around the squad. Um, well, they're not going. Well, they're probably not going to be in the squad, are they? But they're going to be on the bench at least. And th- those players will always exist. But eventually, there will come a point where there's more and more young players. And you know, it, it, you you ask the question whether they should change the rules so that it's um, players under a certain age that are that fit within the quota and not older players, because we want to encourage young players to come through and come playing. I know this obviously isn't related to wages. Well, it kind of is because they're, they're sitting there on the bench collecting shit ton of money and they're not doing anything. Whereas it would be much cheaper to go with a young backup, essentially, who's keen to learn and keen to push the starters. That would be really, really good. Yeah, all right, it wouldn't be good for the starting player's ego to be challenged by um, this young player who has something to prove. But I think it does benefit the team.
1: Mm. I, I think some things could be tweaked and i think from the current system it would work if it was actually followed properly and not paid off to bent the rules
0: yeah
1: which is done and that's the most frustrating thing as a fan where i'm not saying that um you know who was it who came fifth, Arsenal last year, should be given the Champions League spot or anything like that. But it shouldn't get to a point that a club is looked at and then they're basically told, oh, you're banned. And then a few months later at the court hearing, they are told, you only have to pass 10 million euros. And it, it's just fr- it's frustrating. What are the rules for? It's like if there wasn't any rules in society, or we could bend rules in society, which is a complete different point of view, Like, you know, there wouldn't be laws and things like that. It would just be mayhem. Everyone will do what they want to do. So my point is with there being a structured competition, organized competition, it kind of falls out of place a little bit where this happens and the finances aren't followed because someone is already super rich. They're just going to continue thriving off that and not giving that competitive edge and competitive balance to other teams that could be doing everything by the book but can't get there because this superior um, rich owner owns a club and does what he wants
0: Yeah I mean the, the, the whole fru- you, you're right You know the whole frustration is the fact that teams don't necess- if they've got enough money they don't need to follow the rules because they can pay UA for off or FIFA off, and that's that's a very pessimistic view.
1: Um, and, and it's you know it, it's very much the same um, in in other sports um, uh, like swimming, where you've got FINA as a um, international governing body, where they don't really give much money to the to the swimmers, and now you've got this um, swimming league, international swimming league, um, where they building projects and they're creating these teams which are based all over the um, the world and it, it creates a more fun environment for both the athletes and the viewers. So what they're doing is generating these, um, uh, I guess profits of these events and actually paying the athletes more. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a win-win that you get more entertainment and the um, athletes actually get paid more. So they're not earning I don't know, what is it? Rebecca Annington got in her year that she won an Olympic gold medal. I think it was £18,000 that year um, to live off with. So, I mean, be yeah, it is from up north and maybe that goes a little bit more than it does down south in the UK because mm. of prices of everything.
0: Yeah, the but, disparity.
1: Yeah, but it's still for an Olympic gold medalist is ridiculous.
0: Yeah. It's, it's such a ridiculous um, gap compared to what you would expect them to earn. But then that's the thing that made her and allowed her to go on to earn more money um, throughout her career, like throughout the rest of her life, basically. But I get your point completely <clears throat> compensated for their work. Sorry, go on
1: and now she's a pundit and be it some people do get the opportunity to go be a pundit a coach or whatever yeah. but if you look at majority of people when they go and you know they don't reach a gold medal but they get into a final and they don't make that name for themselves in that certain event but they still almost got it and it could be just an illness the day before or it could be that you know, the smallest of things that have happened and that kind of triggers that chain reaction for the rest of their career in that particular sport where they're not recognized um, for the rest of their lives and they have to basically retire and be like well what do i do i've be- trained up my whole career my whole life for this and now i've got no backup it's it, it really is crazy and i'm really glad that i've never been in that position because i dread to think what i would do but i'm sure there's been so many people that have had to deal with that. and it's so mentally frustrating and difficult I would I would imagine from someone who hasn't really reached international level has only reached national level and for me to stop swimming was a big mental hit
0: yeah man it is it's brutal like to hear that and you know to imagine what it would be like for someone who's been professional for a long time and that is that is that that is your world your your social life maybe even your your partner you know could be from that world as well you don't know and so to then suddenly be ripped out of that would would suck (laughs) like to not have that around you anymore to not be um i guess the the guy that that does the thing that and now he he's he's reduced to coaching and punditry or whatever yeah but yeah, I think this is a good point for us to end.
1: Um, We've also solved the world on wages then.
0: Exactly, yes. Yes, communism. That's the way to go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've communism. Long live Stalin.
0: Exact, exactly. Lo- love you, Stalin and Lenin and Marx. Thank you. <laughs> right. Thank you for getting to this point, And we'll see you again next time. Cheers.
1: Thanks for listening.